Yeah, so in case you didn't wonder, you know, what we got over here. So um, we're going to do a baptism, but before we do that, I do want to make just a few kind of general statements. Uh, I know we've got some people visiting. We have people watching online uh, that maybe, maybe have some different uh, ideas or what, what baptism is and what baptism isn't. Um, this water is not, there's nothing special about this water. Trust me, we were skimming, sorry, John, we were actually skimming some, some uh, uh, things out of it this morning. So, uh, so yeah, it is warm, uh, but so it's, there's definitely nothing special about this water. Uh, it doesn't save anybody. It's not going to, it doesn't give uh, any salvation to anybody. You can go jump in it and you're not going to be any different uh, than you were when you got in from a spiritual standpoint. What it does do is it's a picture. It's a type. Uh, it's one of the two ordinances uh, that were given to us by the Lord himself, uh, the Lord's Supper and then baptism. And so the reason that we observe it and the reason we do it, it's the first step of obedience after we're saved. Uh, and it is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a picture of you being in your, old, in your sins and the old man when you go in, go in. When you come out, you're in a new man, Jesus Christ, yes. And so, you know, if you, what I wanted to make sure that we're clear about is in Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 16, uh, those are the, the Gentile salvations that we, that we see. Um, and what we see in those, in each one of those, is baptism after salvation. If you think about the Ethiopian eunuch, what did he say? So, what must I do to be saved? Right? Uh, and, or what, what hinders me from being baptized, I'm sorry. And uh, Philip told him, he said, well, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? And so that was what was prevalent and what made it okay for him to get baptized. Uh, Cornelius, same thing. The Philippian jailer, same thing. So what we want to make sure we understand that when we do this, uh, John is already saved. There's, she's not going to be any different from a standpoint of going out, but it's a picture, and we want to make sure that we understand that. So at this time, I'm going to let Jonna come up. Y'all give her a hand. All right. And she's going to share her testimony. So. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Jonna, as you already know, um, and my parents and my grandma are here from Ohio, so I decided to get baptized today. Um, I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian home where church was a very important part of my life. Um, every Sunday, we would go to church as a family. Uh, when, I was when I was a baby, I was baptized in the Methodist church um, with a traditional sprinkling of water on my head. It was never a question uh, whether Jesus was a part of my life or not. Uh, I was saved when I was about six years old at a sporting banquet. Um, at, the bank, at the banquet, they had a, a speaker that um, had an entertainment show, and then they talked about Jesus afterwards and our need for a Savior. The speaker asked us to pray to ourselves, and if we felt led to, to ask Jesus into our heart that night as our own personal Lord and Savior. Uh, I still remember the way my heart was stirring as the speaker asked that question. I felt that I understood at the time what it meant, and I closed my eyes and prayed for Jesus to enter into my heart. I knew that this life could simply not be done without him at the center. Fast forward a few years to when I was in sixth grade away at a church camp. They had a pastor speak to us about how we are broken people um, in need of a savior. The pastor laid out what it meant to follow God and how we have eternal life through Jesus. 
He read scripture to us to prove that Jesus died for our sins. Then the pastor asked us if we wanted to believe and respond. Then pray with the leader to ask for Jesus to come into our hearts. I knew that Jesus was in fact my Lord and Savior, and I reminded myself of the time that I had asked him to come into my heart and life already. Through this message, I was able to further understand that decision I made when I was young. And specifically, I realized that before Christ, my sin separated me from God, and my sin debt was paid for by the blood of Christ. Once I got to college at Ohio State, I knew I needed a church to call home. I started attending H2O Church on campus, and I was learning more than I ever had. I had always been taught the same things by the same people back at home, um, and I felt no reason to doubt what they said. H2O had some firm beliefs that did not align with my Methodist church back home. Um, and that challenged me to get into the Bible and figure out what I truly believed. That was a little overwhelming, to say the least, uh, and I wasn't able to nail many things down. Um, but one thing I remember H2O really encouraging was baptism. But in my mind, I had already been baptized. At the end of my time at Ohio State, I got to know my now husband, Park. Um, very soon, I was moving to Cleveland, Ohio to start my career while Park was set to start his in Alabama, 10 hours away. Uh, we prayed about whether we were to continue this relationship through the trials of long distance, and God continually reaffirmed our relationship together. One thing that made me realize Park was the one was his love for the Lord and his dedication to God's word. I knew that he would lead me and push our future family to always keep Christ at the center of our lives. Through this, we were both able to realize that God's timing is far greater than our own. We decided to visit Community Fellowship Baptist Church and were welcomed with open arms by many different families and individuals and quickly realized this is where the Lord has us. Since attending CFBC, I've grown in my faith and understanding of the Word of God immensely. I'm learning how to prove things out for myself by comparing scripture to scripture and understanding the context of what I'm reading instead of plucking a verse out to fit a situation. God also equipped me with a husband that I am able to lean on and ask questions when I get frustrated. Um, which is exactly what I did when I found out that infant baptism aren't really a thing here. Um, I was confused and felt like my faith was being questioned, but I was thinking in my flesh. I was responding with feelings and not considering what God's word had to say. My husband pointed me, pointed me towards some key verses about baptism, such as Acts 8, 36 through 37, where the eunuch is saved and immediately gets baptized. The key that I didn't realize I had missed was baptism after salvation. I did not understand that before you get baptized, you have to believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior, along with confessing it. So I'm here today in front of you all to say that although I accepted Jesus in my heart a long time ago and confessed that he is my Lord and Savior, I don't want anything else hindering me from being baptized. I want to bring God glory with my life by following his word and know that this is my next step in doing so. Praise the Lord. All right, David, I'm going to get you to come, if you don't mind coming to help me. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had this thing up to like 95 today, so it was, it was, it was one. All right, good. All right, good. All right. So, Jonna, based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Good? Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord.
right, so we're going to transition to, let's go ahead and give our offering. Uh, so if you guys will, we're going to do that. And I will pray for that. All right, church, let's pray. Dear God, we love you. Uh, man, what a great picture. Uh, what a great testimony. Uh, I'm thankful for Jonna and Park that you brought them here to us. And uh, it's, it's no, uh, it didn't happen by chance. Uh, you, they were, uh, you kind of made that appointment for them to be part of our family. You brought them together here uh, and you've brought them to us and we're thankful for that, dear God. I do pray uh, just for right now as we take up this offering, I pray that it is uh, used for your honor and your glory, uh, for the ongoing of your kingdom. Uh, just bless the gift and bless the giver. And all these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So church, you came in a good day. Uh, if you haven't already figured that out, um, you know, your, 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 your best pastor is gone. Uh, your, your, your weak pastor's here. Uh, but we, we're going to give another guy, another guy an opportunity to preach and teach today. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's a brother that I love very much. And he knows the book and he loves the word. You guys know him. Uh, you know that he's studied. You know that he's prepared. So he's going to bring us a message today. I want you to give him your undivided attention. Corey Carter, if you will, come up and give it for us. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Good morning, church. How are y'all this morning? Good. It's good to see y'all. I love um, baptisms. Um, I love the stories behind them. Park and John, y'all been, y'all bless my heart ever since you've been here. <sighs> Young people, I hope y'all strive to have a, a story like that. What a testimony. <clears throat> Today, if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Um, Today we're going to take a look at one of the greatest stumbles in the life of one of God's greatest men of faith, Abraham. Or Abram, as he was still called to this point. What we're going to see is that Abram, like many of us today, has the word of God available as his God, but having to make the choice to trust it or choose to operate outside of it. Like us, Abraham received a lot of unbelievable promises, but then oddly, Abraham decides to do something that makes absolutely no sense at all. And it leads him to some precarious places God never intended for him to be. And I believe it's an awesome example for us to take note of. It shows what happens when we decide to choose self over scripture. Or as I call it, the world over the word. All right, let's read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I probably should turn there myself. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that cursed thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls they had gotten in Haran, 
And they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram, and Abram passed through the land into the place of Sikkim, unto the, to the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, uh, for this morning. Um, Lord, you are the maker, creator. You made it possible for us to be here. Uh, Lord, I know so many times we take so much for granted that you do for us, Lord, but I want to thank you this morning just for the opportunity to be in your house around your people. Lord, you got a word for us. I just pray, Lord, that you get me out of the way, speak to your people, Lord. I pray that we all take something, Lord, that we can use uh, in our everyday lives from this. Um, It is the truth, and Lord, we know that the truth can set us free, and Lord, I ask you to do that today, Lord, with whoever's here. Prepare hearts, Lord, open minds, speak to us, Lord, and you get the glory for it. In Jesus' name we ask you, amen. All right, so, you know, if you've been around our church for a while, you know, we believe the Bible teaches, you know, all scripture, you know, it's it's applicable for a lot of things. You know, there's a historical context, there is a doctrinal context, there is then a practical context, and practical is where we live, you know, as, as Jay and many other preachers I've heard say over the years, if it ain't practical, it ain't preaching. Whenever a guy stands up here, you ought to be able to take something with you that you can take home. And so hopefully today you can do that. So I want you to know historically, I'm just going to run down the historical and the doctrinal really, really quick because I got a lot here. Uh, I tend to over-prepare. So historically, uh, Abram, or Abraham as you know him, was a real person. Uh, From Adam to Abraham is about 2,000 years. Um, That's from when Abraham decided to depart the land of Ur as the Lord asked him to do. Um, and from, from Abraham to the nation of Israel going into um, Egypt is another 430 years. So it kind of gives you an idea of where Abraham, or Abram, rather, uh, fits into Scripture. Uh, doctrinally, verse 3, it says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You need to know that that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, If you go to Matthew, if you read the genealogy there, um, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ comes from the line of Abraham. God promised Abraham. He made a covenant with him. Uh, He made promises to him that that land would be uh, for his seed in the future and that he would reign over them forever. And um, I did not put it in your your notes because I I studied the doctrinal and then I forgot to add it and it was kind of late when I, I sent Cody the notes, so... But if you would, you can look at Genesis 17, 7 and 8, if you want to write it down, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, uh, Revelation 12, 5. You know, a good thing to do is just read the book of Revelation. We're in there right now with Jay on a, regularly on, a, on Sunday morning. So if you just read Revelation, you'll, you'll kind of see that. But what we want to focus on today is the practical part. You know, our text tells us in verse 10 that there is a famine in Canaan. And it says, Abraham took his family and sojourned in the land of Egypt. Now, I don't know if you know what the word sojourn means. Uh, You know, people think it's traveling. It is traveling. Uh, Sojourn means that you go to some place and you plan to stay there for a while. You don't plan to necessarily live there, but you plan to stay there for a while. 
And so Abraham's he's, he's faced with an issue, a need. And what does he do? He, he gets his family. He goes up to the land of Egypt. You know, the land of Egypt was known to be rich and increased with goods. And in Abram's age, from a human reasoning, it would have made sense to go to a land like that. However, if you're a student of the Bible, you know that Egypt is always represented in pictures, a type of the world, the sin, and an evil system against God. Egypt in the Bible is never seen as positive. It's where the children of Israel were held in bondage to Pharaoh, a picture of the Antichrist for 400 years. You know, eventually God sends them a savior through Moses who represents the Lord Jesus Christ and delivers them by the blood. Uh, they go through the Red Sea. Uh, it's both historical and it's real. And there's so much we can learn from looking at the nation of Egypt. You know, John just talked about it a minute ago. You know, before Christ, you and I were in bondage like the children of Israel. Uh, in Egypt. And God talks about that. He says that we were in bondage to sin. Uh, if you're here this morning, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know you're still, um, so to speak, you're in Egypt. But there is a Savior who wants to save you, who wants to deliver you from that. But once he delivers you from that, there's some things he wants from you. You know, even after so many of us get delivered by the power of God, you know, we find ourselves still longing for Egypt. And, you know, when you look in the Bible, you see that all the time. God does something miraculous in someone's life, a believer. Um, you know, things are good for a while, and then they turn their back on him, and they wish to go back to where they came from. So what we're going to do is navigate Egypt. I want everyone to notice some truths about what happens when we choose Egypt or this world and its system over the Word of God. First of all, choosing the way of Egypt or the world over God's word, it takes you down. Let's go to verses 9 and 10. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. So we see that Abraham went down. So whether you realize it or not, whenever you take a turn from what God has already shown you, you yourself are going down. You know, we use the term down in our everyday language. Uh, you know, stock market is down. I don't, if you have a 401k, don't look at it right now. Uh, every time I do that, I, I hate myself. Uh, people say I'm feeling down. Um, you know, if you have a younger child or an or a, a elder parent, you know, it's, it's usually a concern if they fall down. Um, you know, there's just something about the term down and the aspects that go with it. Here in the Bible says that Abraham went down. And in, in reading the text, it kind of makes no sense. In verse 7, the Lord appears into Abram and tells him, hey, this is the land that I've promised to you and your family. And then in verse 8, Abram even builds an altar and begins to call on the name of the Lord. So everything's good, right? But then he does a curious thing. He abandons his altar. He travels south. I'm not talking about the Gulf Shores. And he heads to Egypt. The Bible says there was a famine in the land, and rather than appeal to his altar he just built to call on the name of the Lord, Abram decides to take matters in his own hands, pick up his whole family, and head for Egypt. It is here that Abram begins to go down into a downward spiral. But when comparing Scripture with Scripture, he's not the only one who decides in the midst of a difficulty that he would go down. Let's just see what the Bible has to say about going down. There's someone you might be familiar with. Let's take Jonah, for instance. Jonah 1. 1 through 3. 
Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's interesting. So Jonah is a man who knows the Lord, uh, seemingly loves the Lord, but he's faced with something he doesn't want to do. He's faced with a difficulty, and what's he do? He goes down. The Bible says he went down to flee from the presence of the Lord. And you know, that's what same thing Abram did. When he decided to go into Egypt, what he was leaving was the presence of the Lord. You know, God commanded Jonah by his word, and in turn, Jonah rebels against his word by going down to a place to get away from his presence. How many of us have received a commandment from the book? And I know if you, if you go to church here, uh, someone stands up here every week and uh, they share the book with you. How many times have you heard the book and you just decide, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go my own way. You know, another person in Judges 14, it says that Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman who was the daughter of the Philistines. It says he desired her and took her to wife. You know, it's interesting, Samson, who has a Nazarite vow to separate himself from the world unto God, goes down, and he goes down to the enemies of God to get his wife. Man, what does that say? That's a man who's deciding to, to choose his flesh over what God has told him. And you can see there that he came up eventually to talk to his parents. And so there's something to that about going down. You know, the Philistines were the thorn in Israel's side all their lives. From the judges, Samuel, King Saul, King David, God had commanded Israel to remove them from the land, but Israel never did it. And you know, for us, they picture our flesh that wars with us. Because you know, God has commanded us to do some things. He's put his spirit in us, and our flesh still wants to do what it wants to do. Just like Samson there, he wanted a wife from the enemy. You know, when the Lord is recounted to Isaiah later about Israel's later bondage in Egypt, he again affirms that Israel went down to a place that they were held in bondage. For thus saith the Lord God, my people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So this is not good. So again, the thing to sojourn, you know, that's not a word we use much today. You know, you just say, hey, I'm, I'm traveling, or uh, some of you fat cats are here, I'm vacationing in a, in a certain place. And so, you know, from, a, I guess, a human reasoning, you could say, well, he's not really moving there. He's just taking his family there for a while. But, you know, that's, that's never good. That's just dabbling with the world. And sometimes that's how we try to justify it in our minds. You know, I'm not really going to live all out against God, but maybe I'll just dabble a little bit in some things that are against him. But God never told Abram to go down to Egypt. Hebrews 12, 12, 1, the writer urges believers to get rid of every sin and weight which besets them. Why? Because they hold you down. So let's look back in verse 1. The Lord tells Abram, he tells him, go to a place that he would show him, and he did. And in verse 4, we see the words, and Abram departed. So here's the truth. Whether you're moving towards where God said go or away from God, know that you're moving. So where are you today? Are you sojourning in the land of promise or after your own flesh in the land of Egypt? Some might say, okay, 
the passage says that the famine was grievous in the land and the people had to eat. But the issue isn't the hardship. We all run into hardships. You know, I'm old enough to have seen some, you know. Thank God he's blessed me. Um, but, you know, if you live long enough, you do go through some hard times. And they will come. But how do you deal with them when they come? Do you deal with them from a human, worldly reasoning? Or do you deal with them based on what God said? You know, whenever God appeared to Abram, it always says, the Lord said unto him. Uh, over and over in your Bible, you know, thus saith the Lord, I think, appears 413 times. Do you know what thus saith the Lord? Or are you just kind of winging it? You know, I've been there just winging it. I think if you'll be honest, you know, there's been a time or two in your life where you've been winging it. We can't be in the place of promise and God's blessing when we're winging it and not doing according to thus saith the Lord. So Abram's moving. He went down into Egypt. But when he went down, what was he moving from? A, God's promise. So verse 1, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. So God was specific. He said that it was a place that he would show him. So God wasn't going to leave him alone to figure it out. He promised to show him where to go. And you know, Abram went into Egypt, a large land. One might say that the famine in Canaan was not a punishment for sin, but rather it was a place for Abram's faith to be tried. You know, there's an old saying of leaving God's best and running from the test. Heard some old people say that. You know, real faith will always get tested. Um, God will tell you to do something, and then he'll see how you deal, how you deal with it. I know in here, uh, we really preach discipleship. And I've seen this, you know, I got discipled 20-something years ago. I've had the pleasure of discipling a few men. Um, and it's always interesting when you go through the lessons. Uh, one I've always noticed is when you get to the, the lesson on tithing. You know, there's, there's a guy who hasn't been tithing, uh, but you tell him, hey, man, here's, here's the book. This is what God says. Let's do it. Sure enough, it's, he decides I'm going to get gung-ho, I'm going to start tithing, and what happens? Washing machine breaks. Car breaks down. Some unforeseen expense. And I've seen so many times guys do it the right way and then do it the wrong way. And that's always the crux of the matter. What does the Lord say about it? Real faith will always be tested. You know, the great test is to submit to the test and trust God's word instead of running away. You know, Abram was supposed to choose the uncertainty of Canaan over the abundance of Egypt. And we as believers today, we're no different. And God has to remind us, too, of his providence. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Do you believe that? Now, of course, yeah, this, you know, this, this passage of Scripture was not written directly to you and me, but God did give it to us to show we can trust him. He'll guide us if we seek him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It mentioned discipleship. I remember this is one of the very first uh, Bible verses that I, I kind of, like, committed to trust. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's a promise, guys. Would it make sense for the Lord to tell Abram where to go and then desert him? Do we think it makes sense for him to tell us where to go? And then when you hit a hard time, think, ah, maybe he won't be there for me. Kind of silly. Next, what was he running from? God's provision. Verse 2, 
Uh, the land of Canaan was promised. It would have been directly in the center of where God wanted Abram to be. You know, being where God wants you to be is key. It represented God's very best for Abram. Canaan land was where he's supposed to be because that's where God promised to provide. You know, and there's no more precious place to be than where God wants you to be because then you'll be provided for. You know, the famine was a real need, but God had promised to provide. He says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will make thy name great, and bless thee and make thy name great. If Abram was worried about dying in the land of Canaan, um, that would have made God a liar. And we know God's not a liar. But he didn't appeal to his altar that he just built in verse 8. Rather than appeal to that altar and, and get a hold of the Lord, what did he do? He ran. That's just like so many of us. But in Philippians 4.19, God's always, always, always interested in providing for us. You've heard this a million times, but do you really believe it? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It says all your need. And I love that. It doesn't say needs. It says all your need. You know why? It's, it's, it's singular because Christ is all you need. And for most of us Christians, the problem is not that we don't have the word. The problem is we either don't believe it or we disregard it. But God made a promise. Do you know God's promises? I would encourage you, if you don't know those promises, find some of them, hold on to them, commit them to memory. It matters when you hit those hard times because you will hit those hard times. Next, what was he running from? God's protection. Verse 3, God had promised to bless Abram and Canaan. You know, what did God say to him? He said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that cursed thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's a pretty, pretty big promise from God. If a guy's going to bless you, I will bless them. If they curse you, I will curse them. But in you will be a blessing to all the earth. I mean, Abram had just heard this. So why in the world is he running to Egypt to try to get his needs met? You know, the best place to be is where the Lord places you, even if it is difficult and your circumstances look bleak. You know, whether that's a famine or a financial crisis or whatever it is, when I'm in the center of what he wants for me, then I'm protected. When I take it, I'm, you know, into my own hands to do my own thing, you know, there's no promises there for me. What does Deuteronomy 31.6 say? Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Psalms 41.6, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Do you believe that? You know, a lot of times they say what you believe will show up in your checkbook. So when something breaks down, of course, you know, it's God gave us money. Do you go to the credit card first or do you call on the Lord first? I dare say most of us probably go to the credit card first, right? God's promise to protect us. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the key here is that what you need to know is God keeps his word. Um, and that's one thing, you know, I got saved um, in 1997, just a few short months after Brother Jay. And over the years, you know, my Christian walk's been up and it's been down. 
But God showed me over and over, his word is true. If he says he'll do it, he'll do it. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? But the real question is, do I keep the word of God close, or do I keep close to the world? You know, the children of Israel, you know, you read, you see their adventures, I like to call it, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And like I said before, you know, over and over and over, it was, you know, a problem. They would cry out to God, and God would deliver them. And then things would be good for a while. They kind of forget God, and then God let them get into another problem, and then God would deliver them. And, you know, in our lives, we kind of do that same thing. I always go back to Exodus 16.3, and this is when God delivers Israel out of Egypt for that first time. And let's see what they had to say. They're, 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 they're murmuring to Moses, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with, with hunger. How crazy is it that God delivered some people, and then the next thing they're doing is complaining about it and wanting to go back? How many times have we done that? I know I've done that plenty of times. Uh, there's some problem, there's some issue, there's some sin. And I really get a hold of God, and we get through it. And then before you know it, I'm looking back. Why do we do that? So either you're holding close to his word or you're holding close to the world. You know, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, Brother Colin last week talked about some things we are to hold, you know, and the Lord's asking us to keep some things, keep his commandments. Does he tell us to keep his commandments because he's like a sadistic person who doesn't want us to have any fun? No, it's because he knows what's best for us. There's a blessing when I keep his commandments. It's not keeping me from something, you know, just to be mean to me. Ask yourself honestly today, which one are you keeping? Are you keeping hold to the world? Or are you keeping hold to God's word? But we see that things continue to build on themselves. You know, rather than turning back to Bethel, the house of God, Abram decides to stay and try to make the best of a mess, a mess that he created. Which brings us to the next point about choosing Egypt. You know, it will take you downward, but then it will lead to deception. You know, when you and I as believers choose to leave the place that God has called us to, usually we end up down and out. And then we try to deceive ourselves, you know, into any excuse for why, you know, we're where we are and why it's right or why it's okay. You know, when Abram abandoned the word of God which God had spoken, he found himself a place of embracing dishonesty. Living outside of the truth means that we are living a lie. Look at Genesis 12, verses 11 through 15. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the, women, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. 
What I want you to see is selfishly, his lies negatively influence others. How crazy is that? When you, when you back back, you know, and I read verse 13. I remember the first time I read through it and I saw that. Like, here's a man's wife. and He's willing to give her to Pharaoh to save his own skin. Verse 15 says, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. I don't know if you understand the connotation of that. It wasn't like, hey, um, she's just a pretty girl, we're inviting her to dinner. No, they took her. Man, when you get away from God's word, some crazy things you will do. You influence others in the craziest, most negative ways, ways God would never want you to. It is a sad day when a believer turns away from the truth to embrace a lie especially for his own selfish reason. You know, that's probably the saddest episode in Abraham's life, or Abram's life. And the crazy thing is, you know, it's preserved in the Word of God forever. You know, and because it is, we can learn from his mistake. You know, I know we all have times where, if we've been honest, we birth sins and lies in our heart. We all do it. You know, it's to appease our flesh, and it's horrible when it happens. God help us not to do that. And where did Abraham get this idea? Had God told him this, that, hey, if you go into Egypt and, you know, you don't give your wife away, they're going to kill you? Did not God just promise him at the beginning of chapter 12 that he's going to make of him a great nation, that he's going to bless him, that he would be a blessing to everyone else? You know, Abraham just, he just became a lie. He lived in this lie. You know, after he told a lie, he began to live in it. You know, one lie always leads to another one. You know, it's funny that lying is the one sin it seems like always comes back to get you. You know, you can get away with a lot of things for a long time, but man, those lies, for some weird reason, they always find you. And you know, you think about uh, King David in 2 Samuel, when he goes out onto the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba, and he takes her, you know, she, she eventually, she gets pregnant, and what's he do? Lie after lie after lie. Tries to get her husband to, to go in into her and say the baby's his. The husband won't do it. And what's he do? Have the husband killed. And he tries to cover that up. Man, lies just take you into another, another place. You know, 2 Peter 2, 11 and 12 has something to say about that. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You know, if you compare scripture with scripture, you see that conversation doesn't mean necessarily your talk. It means your walk, your lifestyle. And God tells us to have ours honest among people. And here's Abram. He's not honest about who he is. I mean, he knows the God of heaven. He's heir to some awesome promises. But do you think anybody in Egypt knew that about him by looking at him or looking at his life? I don't think so. What about you? Some of us, we know the one true God. We know him. We're saved, going to heaven. But do people around us know that we know him? Is our conversation honest? Man. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 
Yeah, the way you live, guys, it matters. And people know when you're lying. They can see through the, the falsehoods, the fakeness. Uh, it's funny, little kids especially. I don't know what it is about little kids. God gave them that ability. Kids know when you are lying. So now that I'm going to have one in a few months, it's going to be interesting to see what I can get past him. But next, ironically, Abram's lies incriminate himself. You know, there's an old saying, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, in verse 18 and 19, you see, And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why sayest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to my wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. You know, and it says the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of, of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You know, even when everybody else didn't know what's going around, God still knows. It says because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So when I pretend to be something I'm not, uh, I might fool you. I might fool you for a little while, but I'm not fooling God. And the fruit of it will always show up eventually. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. And everyone can see the fruit of your lifestyle. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, what's coming out of your mouth to be deemed as a lie. People can see the way that you live. Luke 12, 2 and 3. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. You know, pretending to be or not affirming that you are, both of them are a lie equally. You know, the people you work with all to know that you know the Lord. The people you go to the gym with all to know that you know the Lord. Your closest friends ought to know that you know the Lord. You can skip forward, Chris. The key is here, your talk should always match your walk. And this is something my mom tells me all the time. If some of you have had the pleasure to meet my mom knows uh, she don't play. <laughs> and she's quick to tell me, Corey, I see this in your life. I think you're getting away from this. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm not always thankful in the moment. But I'm thankful for that. She would tell you, your talk should always match your walk. Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Are you walking what you're talking? A lot of times we're just not talking because we know the way we're walking. Colossians 3, 19 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Again, by your fruit, people know you. You know, Satan is a deceiver. The first thing we see in the Bible that he does Back in the garden is deceive. He questions the word of God. He lies to Eve. And when you and I are dishonest and when we lie, we're never more like Satan. 
So ultimately, what was the fruit of Abram's lies? Well, they led to destruction. You know, when I walk away from the word of God, then I just open myself up for willy-nilly whatever happens in life because I have nothing to stand upon. Um, you know, you, you think about the parable where Jesus talks about the man who builds the house on the, the rock and the man who builds his house on the sand. And that rock is the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God. You can build it on sand. And when the storms come, then you can just try your best to deal with what comes. But when we walk away from the word, we always invite destruction. You know, and the crazy thing is, when you look at Abram, his offenses are against his own family. Verse 14 and 15, he tells Sarah, it says, And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair, and the princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. You want to talk about busting up a marriage? I still sometimes can't believe she went along with it. Ladies, find you a man who does not love you like Abram. You know, when we embrace sin, whatever sin it is, know that it doesn't just affect you. You know, we like to think our Christian walk is in a vacuum between us and God that, you know, that, that no one else knows. It doesn't matter, but that's not true. You know, sin creates potential. You know, Abram's sin had the potential to cause others to fall. His wife, Pharaoh, um, and all because of selfish reasons to save himself. Next, it brings judgment on those without. You know, the eyes of Christian depend on what I do and how I live. When I say without, I mean the lost world. You know, I can affect them by what I do or don't do. And in Genesis 12, 17, it says, And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. You know, if you read the Bible, there's a thing about plagues. There aren't any good ones. <laughs> I never see God send a plague of candy bars or gold coins or, or whatever. It's always bad. And here's a guy who's a believer, Abram. He's amongst lost people in the land of Egypt. He's away from God, and he's living, a believer, living in such a way that God judges the lost people around him. Man, God help us not to do that. You know, Pharaoh could have taken Sarah to be his wife. You know, that's adultery. You know, when we go to Egypt spiritually, it causes others to fall or to be led astray. I don't know if you know the, the famous quote from Gandhi that he said, you know, I think he would be a Christian except for... The Christians, right? That's bad, y'all. You know, Abram's sin brought God's hand of judgment into the situation and on people not directly even involved. You know, in that same verse it says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house. I'm sure some people, some butlers or whoever working in there, they got nothing to do with what's going on. And God's even judging them for it. Wouldn't it be a shame to know that our sin caused a believer to stumble? Or worse, a sinner to be confirmed for the decision for hell. Matthew 18, 6 says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Yeah, we don't want to offend our brothers. 
We don't want to cause them to stumble. Have you ever caused a lost person to stumble? You know, that's, that's some of the things I think about, you know. I think about, you know, many years in my, my early 30s, um, late 20s, and just being out there just doing whatever with lost people. There would be times I would come to myself. And I'd be like, what am I doing? And why aren't I telling them about Jesus? And when I didn't, man, especially if something happened to them, it's hard to get over, guys. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, when we do things our own way, the only thing that ever results from it is death. The way you and I choose to live daily, the big and little choices we make, can and will affect those around us. You know, I can, as a husband, choose to not love my wife, not take care of her, not care for her, not do the things the way God would say do it. He tells me to love her like Christ loved the church. That's to give my life. You know, I cannot, as a, you know, as a parent, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you can't not want to serve God and expect your children to want to. You know, you as a discipler, you can't decide, I'm only going to go so far to grow and then expect your disciple, disciple Lee, to want to grow even further. You can't be a Christian and not want to be a disciple. I mean, you can, but what does that say about what you think about the Lord? So ultimately, where we see it, what does this result in? It results in disappointment. So verse 1920, why sayest thou she is thy sister, my sister? So I might have taken her to, to me to wife. Now therefore, behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. You know, the world and all of its allurements can never satisfy the soul that has tasted of the goodness of the Lord. And again, if you look at verse 16, it says why he did it. Abram did all this for himself. He was worried about himself. You know, he gained some things by giving his wife, but ultimately what really happened is he ended up losing a lot. And you want to know, what did he lose? Let's see what he lost. If I can get to my notes, I can tell you what he lost. You can go to the next slide there. Loss of testimony. You know, Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Do you think of this, part, this, this period in Abram's life, he had a good testimony with the people in Egypt, with Pharaoh, with, with anyone uh, connected with Pharaoh? I would say no. God tells us to let our light shine so people see something different about us and we know that there is a God in heaven and that they end up glorifying him because of it. Abram was not living in a way that does that. Do you care about your testimony? You know, everyone in here has one. It could be positive, it could be negative, but you definitely have one. What we see next, loss of fellowship. You know, in Egypt, Abram had no altar. He offered no sacrifices. He lifted up no prayers. He totally left God out of everything he was doing. 
You know, when in the world, the child of God lives like the world, and I know that's true, and that's a tragedy within itself. God and all that pertains to him are neglected and ignored. You know, no man can serve two masters. We all know that. And when we choose the way of the world, we choose to lose out on fellowship. What does 1 John 1, 6 and 7 say? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You know, in verse 8, Abram built the altar. He called on the name of the Lord. And then shortly thereafter, he abandoned it. When was the last time you went to your altar? Is it just when something bad happened? Do you go often? You know, I find myself now that, you know, I'm married and I know there's a child coming on the way. Man, that'll really drive you to pray. Now, I'm not saying I didn't pray before, but I'm telling you, I really, really pray now. But Abram gave up fellowship for what? His self. For what? Food? For stuff? Man, God had provided so many promises of what he would do for him, how quickly he forgot. Lastly, the loss of opportunity to minister. Verse 19, 20, it says, you know, instead of bringing the light of the true God into the darkness of Egypt, Abram only brought more darkness. He was not salt and light as he should have been. You know, you got Pharaoh commanding him, take your wife and go. That's pretty bad when you're in the world and the world's like, man, you're bad, out. But you know, when we walk out of Canaan and Egypt, we cannot be what God has called us to be. And it's a tragedy when believers leave the world worse off than what they found it. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. He says, I speak this to your shame. Now, we went through some, some principles. I kind of bungled through them. But I hope God spoke to you. And so I want to ask you, where are you journeying today? Are you camping in the land of God's promise, resting in his assurance of blessing, victory, provision, a good testimony? Or do you frequently go down to Egypt and feed your flesh? All it takes to get to Egypt is just a little compromise here and there. And before you know it, just like Abram, you're lying. People are getting judged. You're not treating your wife right. You're miles away from the Lord with just a few steps. You'll never prosper as long as you're not where God wants you to be. My advice for you is to come home, rebuild your altars, and live for Jesus. If you look at chapter 13, verse 1, it's one thing he says here. This is where Abram should have started out. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. If you're away from the Lord this morning to Egypt, I'll just ask you to just come up out of it. Thank you.